Have you ever had one of those days where you're just really hungry and you're on the way home late from work or hockey or some appointment and you lose that self-control and you decide to get some fast food? And I'm talking about like really fast food, like real greasy burger or that, you know, that cheap ready-to-go pizza. You know, the stuff that we, we kind of know won't be the best for us or actually doesn't, if we're honest, doesn't really even taste the best. But we get it anyways. And then you're sitting in your car with a Big Mac sauce on your beard. And after you're done, you're just kind of, well, unsatisfied with yourself. I mean, dare I say, gently grossed out with yourself as well? What did I just eat? What, why did I do this? Now, maybe that's just me. But I like to think that I'm not the only one that's done that. And I'm not here to really even lecture you on what you should eat on your drive home, what meal you should have. But I do want to ask you a question about life. What's filling your appetite? Now, today I'm concluding our three-part series, Under the Influence. We have been looking and unpacking the reality that we're all under someone's or some kind of influence. And the truth about influence is that it encourages us it drives us, it motivates us to make decisions in a certain kind of way. We are all under the influence of someone or something. And all influences in our lives promise to accomplish something good for us. I mean, don't they? They market themselves as a solution to some kind of a problem to give us something that we desire, something that we are looking for, something that will satisfy our cravings. There's always seemingly something just beyond the horizon that we strive for. And it seems and feels that if I just get that thing, then, then my appetite, my desires, my cravings will be satisfied. Then I will finally be who I want to be. If I just get that promotion in life, if I just get that car, that new phone, if, if I just have that new relationship, if I just make this much more money, then for sure I can slow down. I can be more present. I can be there for my family. I can be there for others. I can be a better neighbor, a better friend, a better spouse, a better parent, a better coworker. If I just get that thing, then I can be all those great things I know I should be. Now, some of you may feel like, well, I'm not sure if that's really me. I'm not sure if I'm really influenced by a lot, if I'm really searching for a lot. But friends, there's a billion dollar industry designed to convince us that we're always lacking. It spends to exploit our cravings and our desire to be more or to have more. And it works. Have you ever noticed when you mention a product to your friends or your spouse, that product begins to cover your social media? Like, for example, if you say, man, I've, I've been thinking about getting a truck, your Facebook will magically offer you trucks near you for sale. It'll be all over your page. The industry knows our human condition of cravings and tries to exploit it. It seems that these products and achievements should scratch the itch, but they don't. I mean, don't get me wrong. They do for a while, but eventually they begin to lack and become dissatisfying. So here's the lie in all of this. If I get enough for me, then I will be fulfilled. I mean, think about this. If I get enough for me, then 
I will be fulfilled. Think about this lie. And there's, I mean, there's a real example of this that's going to be happening just in a few weeks. You see, in a few weeks, there's going to be a release of a new iPhone. It'll be coming out. And people with perfectly good working iPhones will stand in lines, kind of like this. Actually, you know, probably socially distanced now. But they'll be in lines, nevertheless, getting a phone that is marginally better or marginally different from the last, latest model they already have in their hand or in their pocket. But before, friends, but before we go blaming the billion dollar marketing industry or our iPhones for always feeling that we want more or need more, we need to recognize that this is something we as humans have always struggled with. And the Bible captures this human condition so well. John, a disciple of Jesus, who learned from Jesus and studied under him, tells an amazing story that will help us understand the influence of dissatisfaction. In his chapter 6 of his gospel, which is the good news about Jesus, we read an incredible account of how multitudes followed and were looking and eventually found Jesus. And when Jesus saw them, he knew that they'd been looking for him for a while. He knew that they were hungry and tired. And Jesus had sympathy on them. And so he asked Philip, another key follower of his, hey, you know what, Philip, we should should feed them. And it's kind of a rhetorical comment to Philip because Jesus knows like what's what's going on here. He knows that, that they don't have money to pay for all these people, but he's planning to teach Philip, the disciples, and the people in the crowd, and us, an important lesson. And as he's saying this, out of nowhere, Andrew pipes up. Now, Andrew is Peter's brother, also another one of the apostles, followers of Jesus. And he says, hey, wait a minute, kind of almost sarcastically, wait a minute. Here's a boy, and he has five barley loaves and two fish. And the barley bread was the bread of the poor people, and the fish would have been two pickled sardines. So this boy has his little pickled fish to help the dry barley bread. It's a meal of a poor person. And this is such an important detail to notice. Whenever an author in the Bible includes something like this, there's a really important reason. Because writing was expensive and way more time consuming back then. The meal this boy has isn't big enough to feed him adequately. It's an unsatisfying meal. It's not a great meal and is definitely, definitely not enough for everyone. They are hungry and they are tired and this is not enough. This is not satisfying. This will not do. But this unsatisfying, not enough meal was was about to be used by Jesus in a miraculous way. Jesus, of course, knowing what he was going to do, then does a scientifically impossible thing, a miracle, He divides this little meal of bread and fish by breaking it into pieces and the meal just keeps going until 5,000 men are fed. There's this great line in verse 12 that's so easy to miss if we don't focus on it. But he says, when they had all had enough to eat, they were hungry, they needed physical nourishment, there was seemingly nothing adequate there to help them and what they had was not enough and Jesus made it into more than enough. In fact, he made it into plenty and they were very satisfied. They had their fill. This miracle was so amazing 
that the people wanted to make Jesus king. They wanted to make him king by force. Think about how amazing this turn of events is. This moment is so incredible that after seeing what had happened, they wanted to crown Jesus king. I mean, can you blame them? And Jesus, realizing what they wanted to do, leaves. He just left. The miracle was not the end in itself. It wasn't the point. Jesus knew what they were looking for to satisfy their hunger and their desire in life was a military and revolutionary leader who would lead them to freedom from Rome. Let's pick it up in verse 25. At this point, the crowd is looking for Jesus again. Where did he go? And we read, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Jesus says, you are mistaken. You want something, something that I'm not offering. You want free meals. You want power and feasts. You want me to be the king that will do that for you. What I mean is, you look at the Roman wealth and their feasts and, they, and, and all the things that they have at their expense. You look at their luxury of the Roman society, how they gorge themselves and have so much at the, and have their fill. And you think that's the answer, but it's not. Don't you see that the Romans are never actually satisfied? And you think I'll be this kind of king for you? That I will satisfy your hunger in that way? So just a quick note, the Roman society of that time had unparalleled levels of luxury and excess. It was at this time that they, that they served feasts of exotic and difficult to obtain foods and everything in endless quantities. And in order to experience the course after course of meals of such excess, they would actually purge after each course so that the next course might taste better. Meals costing tens of thousands of dollars. This was a common place. It was at this time that one Roman author, Pliny, tells of a Roman lady who got married in a robe that was $900,000, which even by current red carpet standards is pretty intense. And there was a reason for doing all of this. And the reason was a deep dissatisfaction with life, a hunger that nothing could satisfy. They would try anything for any new thrill because they were both appallingly rich and appallingly hungry. Can you imagine a society so rich that has so much in their reach that they would try to do anything to fill their hunger for more? Crazy how that would happen only then. Jesus is addressing the human desire to find a way to meet our dissatisfaction with life. Desire for a certain kind of king, desire for a certain kind of satisfaction and power in life. He knows that's why they're following him. That's why the crowd is after him. He knows they want miracles and they want to make sense of their life. He knows they're searching for more. He says, do not work for food that spoils, but food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you for on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Look, what Jesus is addressing here, he's not, he's not saying you shouldn't work or you shouldn't eat or you shouldn't earn a living. Please don't misunderstand him. 
He's quoting Isaiah, the prophet, who long before this also said, why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? He's saying, don't just make your life about having food and possessions. Don't just make your life for accumulating something that will never be enough. Don't just chase and race for that which withers and disappears. Don't just look for that momentary satisfaction or fill. Don't just give your health and time and energy to that which will just disappear. You're part of something so much bigger than the meal or the best car or the best house. Don't you know there are many kinds of hunger? I mean, of course, there's physical hunger, which physical food can satisfy for a while. But there is spiritual hunger, which that food can never satisfy. A man or a woman may be as rich as the, well, as the wildest fantasy, the wildest fantasy you can imagine, and still have incompleteness in life. The influence of dissatisfaction runs deep, especially when we have more than enough. Jesus' point was that all our interests are wrapped up in physical satisfaction. The crowd, they had received an unexpectedly free and lavish meal. They had their fill, and yet they wanted more. They searched for Jesus. If you were to read the chapter, they wanted more. The fill was not enough. They had other hungers. Let me ask you, what's your hunger? Jesus says, you are here thinking this will satisfy, but you missed the point. You thought the sign was the point. The miracle was the point. So now uh, you're looking for me to be a king, to meet your needs. Jesus says, you don't understand the miracle was not the point. There's a deeper longing, a deeper influence, deeper satisfaction that you're looking for that you can't name. So you're searching for bread. There's hunger for truth. There's hunger for life. There's hunger for love. There's hunger for meaning. Look what the passage says again. Do not work for food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. He's saying, God has certified me. He certified Jesus to be the food that satisfies for eternity. And look at their response. And their response is so much like our response. We had enough then, but now we want more. Give us, give us another sign. Look, God even gave our ancestors manna, the, the miraculous bread from God. And the response is, give us another sign. I mean, just days ago, they were ready to make him king, whether he liked it or not. And now they're demanding signs to prove it. Signs that that wasn't a fluke. And Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus says to them, he takes this pivotal historical story of his people where Moses gives them this manna, this bread from heaven. And he says, it is from God who is the only one 
who can give you true fill. Then Jesus declared, I am that manna. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Friends, don't miss this. Jesus is saying only in him and through him, there will be enough in life. You will enjoy many things in life, for sure. And many things will feel amazing, taste amazing, make you believe you are amazing. But they in themselves will leave you unsatisfied and feeling like not enough. Only in me, Jesus says, will you find your true fill. I mean, it may not be what you thought or you wanted or what you were demanding or what you were even asking for. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the only one who can satisfy your hunger, your cravings, your desires. Only I can do that because I am God. Did you know that I am the bread of life in that statement? The I am is the Hebrew name for God. Jesus is stating clearly it is only in him that you can find the satisfaction. And John, as he's writing this, is spelling it out very clearly for us, for the crowd, for the reader, that he, that is Jesus, is God himself. This is why C.S. Lewis, the famous author, said this. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic or Lord. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. This is so crucial for us to catch. So many of us today paint Jesus to be a nice moral teacher, but he was so much more than that. The crowd wanted a revolution. They were in bondage to Rome. They were ready to make him king. They knew what they thought they wanted. That's why when John actually mentions the detail of 5,000 men being fed, that just happens to be the size of a Roman legion. They're ready for war. And Jesus leaves and says, you don't get it. What you want is not what is best for you. What you want is not everlasting. What you want will leave you hungry. What you want is not the way of God. You want a leader? You want a, a king that will give you a victory over Rome? Who will satisfy that hunger? And Jesus is saying, you're missing it. I am God. What I'm offering is bigger and better and more than you can possibly imagine. The freedom I'm offering is everlasting. It's radically different from anything else. What I'm offering will change you and the world for the better. All your hopes, all your dissatisfaction will begin to change when you taste what I'm offering. When you choose me, Jesus says. Friends, those in the crowd that recognize Jesus to be the bread of life, those that accepted him as their true king, as their God, that modeled the way of Jesus in their life, willing to be crucified just like he was, willing to serve it was they who crumbled the empire of Rome. Not through war, but through radically revolutionary love and sacrifice. That's what changed the world. It was not their consumption or pursuit of owning the most or becoming the wealthiest. 
It was their sacrifice of loving their neighbor that transformed the world. Today, so many of us, like the crowd, are searching and looking and hoping. We have a hunger and a solution in mind. But when we reach there, when we finally get it, we, we are left dissatisfied and continue to search and look for another answer. And we begin to bargain with God, just like the crowd did. Show us another miracle. I will believe in God if you do this. God, if you just do this one thing for me, then I will believe. Then I'll give my energy, my time, my, my all to you. Just do this one thing for me. And we remain continuously dissatisfied. And Jesus says, I am the bread. I am the hope you crave for. I'm everything your heart has ever been searching for. Friends, we are all influenced to satisfy the deep hunger inside of us. We are all driven to believe that bread, house, relationships, sex, money, that something will eventually be enough. But we see all around us that this is not the case. Every day we see that all our longings and all our hopes cannot be met with stuff. I mean, don't get me wrong. Stuff is nice and stuff in itself isn't bad. It's okay for a while. But then we begin to have a new need, a new hunger, a new search, and nothing fills us permanently. It's a temporary filling uh, that we get and, and we are used to it. That's, that's where we're, we're accustomed to. We don't know any other way. It's a constant battle to be continuously filled, isn't it? Don't you want to be over that? If you could choose between life that teeters on the fringes of fulfillment compared to a life that is beaming with satisfaction of being filled, despite of the circumstances of life, what would you choose? Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I am the door. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the true vine. And nothing will satisfy that hunger but me. Friends, the alternative is to continue to live in an unfulfilled life, to keep chasing, to, to keep constantly searching. And maybe you are here and maybe you are searching and you've been looking and you've been hungry, you've been dissatisfied and you've been wondering and you have been looking for Jesus and you didn't even know it. Let him be the bread of life that satisfies you. Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and tired and I will give you rest. If you have been searching for so long, if you have been unsatisfied for so long, would you consider giving your life to Jesus? Would you consider beginning that journey with us? Would you click on the prayer tab and one of our pastors will begin a conversation with you about Jesus? Would you be courageous enough to do that right now? Take a moment. There's a prayer tab just above. Click on it. Let us begin a conversation with you. Or maybe you still have a lot of questions and you're new to this whole thing and you're not sure what to make of Jesus. And just like the crowd that left, you're kind of saying, what does it even mean for Jesus is the bread of life? I don't understand what this means. Would you try Alpha with us? Alpha is a safe environment 
to ask questions about life, about faith, about God, to wrestle about Jesus. Would you try Alpha to have a place to wrestle with these questions and to see what he means when he says, I am the bread of life? Look, what I know is this. We are all searching to have enough. And we're influenced to reach that goal because we believe that if we do, we'll finally be satisfied. But the reality is not what you achieve or reach or eat. That's not what really matters. The real search is not what or how much you will have. The real goal is who you become. In Jesus, you become the best you can possibly be. Your hunger will finally be satisfied. Our cravings and hunger make us believe that we'll, that we'll finally achieve something if we just have a little more. But Jesus says, I'm the only one who can give you that fill. And look, many who witnessed the miracle, who were ready to make Jesus king, uh, but then were told that he's the bread of life. And then this happened. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. He said, I'm the bread of life. And they said, whoa, I don't get what that means. And they no longer followed him. And he says, you do not want to leave too, do you? He asked the 12. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of the eternal life. Peter, who got it wrong so many times, gets it right. He says, where will, you, where will we go? Like, what's the alternative? To continue to chase and never be satisfied or accept the eternal life that you are offering. To whom shall we go? Who can actually satisfy our hunger like you do, Jesus? Friends, to whom shall we go? Let us consider this question because to whom we go will determine who we become.